Well, we're uh, here this, this morning, and we're starting a new series in the, the book of Titus. And uh, i got to admit, it was a little bit strange to take a turn a corner and leave Galatians. I'm going to miss Galatians for sure. And I was thinking about the, the title of this, of uh, a life uncommon, something that we're called to when we're following Christ. Anybody attest to that for sure? Uh, uncommon life, not the same direction everyone else is headed. And I was thinking about the, uh, th- this topic even this morning, uh, and, and some of the things that we do, because what happens in our life, one of the un, uh, like unchanging principles is, is that what we believe impacts the way we live. The, what we believe, uh, and that's, that's true in a lot of different areas, and I, my brain takes me all kinds of crazy directions when I'm thinking about these topics. So I was thinking about what are some of the weird things that we do based on what we believe to be true. And I was thinking about the word free. When we find out something is free, some of the unique things that we do, I, I go to, my wife and I shop at Costco quite a bit, and the things that, they give away these samples, and I don't even need to like what it is they're giving away, because <laughs> the word free kind of supersedes the, whether you even care about, about the item. Anybody else guilty of this? I, uh, I also find, found it interesting, I'm not the only one, I was at this uh, Agora race, the great race of Agora, I was down in this uh, park down there, how do you say that park? Yeah, that, that one. Uh, and, and they had all this gathering, and there were a couple thousand people, and there's a burrito shop that was giving away free burritos. Now, granted, these burritos were like 90% bean and like 5% chicken and then something else. And, uh, and uh, the lineup was like, it was like a mile long, and it's like full of people that make, I'm guessing, a decent income in their life. But they were wanted this bean burrito so desperately because why? It was free. Uh, uh, some years back when my wife and I first got married, we had Ikea move into the neighborhood, which they should give away things that are free because of their quality. Uh, but they were giving away, for the first hundred people that entered this store, they were giving a free Pong chair away. So my wife and I were like, that's a $100 chair. Like, well, are you kidding me? So we're out there in the like crack of dawn at like 5 a.m., like huddled. You had people that were sleeping over uh, to get these free chairs. And not only did the two of us go, we were engaged actually at the time. We drug my mom out of bed. And you're like, you're coming too. We're getting three of these suckers. And uh, just waiting for this thing free. You see, because the truth is, is when, when we actually have put our hope in something, when we believe in something, when the, we hold strongly to something, what? It changes our actions. Our actions uh, shift in accordance with what we believe. The thing is, is the truth of, of this is, is in their spiritual life, that's the same exact, exact truth, that, that you adjust based on what you believe. And the truth is what Jesus has called us to, a life uncommon, a life very different from the norm, should change the way we act. People should be able to look at us and be like, man, they're, they're different. I, I think Jesus, one of the reasons he called us to such an uncommon life is because we'd stand out a little bit more, right? And, and so, so the, the, he calls us to this life, and the truth is it should change the way we look, act, respond. It should change everything in the way that we approach life. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this book of Titus, about how what we believe impacts the way that we live. Let me pray before we dive in this morning. God, we thank you so much already for a chance to celebrate you this morning and to worship you through song and reflection. I just thank you for the 
the gift that we are still celebrating. It didn't end last week. The gift of your resurrection, the, the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. We pray that you direct us this morning as we move past a little bit away from just, the, just strictly talking about grace to talking a little bit more about how that grace shapes us and changes us and causes us to act differently. God, we know that this is only possible through your spirit, and so we're inviting you here even now to direct this time together. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. You can start uh, flipping in your Bibles with me to the book of Titus, and uh, this will be a fun one. I was looking uh, uh, some different studies online, and not that many pastors dive into the book of Titus, so you're in for a treat here, a little something different. So the, some of the things that we're going to see about an uncommon life this morning is two things uh, that we're going to see in this text this morning that he uh, clearly explains is two things that make us just different than maybe the norm is one is having a crystal clear calling in our life, crystal clear calling, and an ongoing pursuit of character development. Two things that are definitely lacking. You talk to the average person around and you ask them, like, what are you called to in your life? What, what do you feel like the purpose of your existence? Talk about a blank stare. Or, or asking the question of, like, you know, like, what do you, how are you seeing your character being shaped or molded and becoming more, uh, more kind, more generous? Somebody would be like, what are you talking about? So one of the, the things that, that sets us apart or causes us to be a little bit uncommon in the world that we're at are those two things we're going to see in our text this morning is a clear calling and our character being sculpted. Take a look in, uh, well, actually, let me give you a little background on this book first. The, the book of Titus is written to, let's see if you can guess who it's written to. Nice! You guys are fantastic. Uh, so Titus, written to Titus, who was one of Paul's co-workers and Corinth. He was a partner in Christ. He was a younger pastor at that time. And he had left Titus to care for these churches that Paul had started on the island of Crete. And so after Paul, who was a just gifted church planner, had started these churches, he left Titus with the task of continuing the ministry there in Crete, leading these churches. And in that time, much like in the book of Galatians, he was dealing with quite a few false teachers. So he's trying to equip them. He gave, gave a very specific charge to Titus. We're going to see to get things in order and put leaders, appropriate leaders, God-honoring leaders of character in place. And so he's writing this letter. It's kind of a follow-up of him saying, hey, I'm going to leave you to lead these churches. And then this is the, hey, here's how you're going to do it letter. Does that make sense? So he's writing, and, and much like other uh, letters that Paul's written, there's not a lot of suggestions, per se, in his writing. He's not really like, maybe you should try this. It's a lot more directives, and, and not, similar to other letters, to the, a similar sense, I love this about Paul, is a sense of urgency. Most of his writings is just dripping with passion and dripping with urgency. Like, hey, it's not like maybe someday you should get around to doing this. Like, you need to do this and you need to do it now. Like, there's an urgency like Jen Miller. So here's a... The, uh, the, the <laughs> that's three for you today, Jen. All right, and so here, diving into the, the text, verse 1 of chapter 1 in Titus, we see this crystal clear calling. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. A lot there. So these are Paul's opening statements there, and we'll unpack that over the next few minutes. The opening statements there is probably the clearest overview of really what Paul's ministry was about of anywhere else in the New Testament. And he's basically one long, really long, four verses long sentence. It's kind of like you ever talk to a, a kid that's like so excited about something and they don't really pause in between breaths. They're just like, just keep going. And this is Paul. It's, it's really every English uh, teacher's worst nightmare. Just one really long run-on sentence giving an overview of two things. Saying, this is who I am and this is what I'm about. This is who I am and this is what I'm about. Basically, identifying two different things we're going to see there in that section we're going to break down is two different things. God is my boss, and he has a job for me to do. God is my boss, and he has a job for me to do. And in fact, this same statement could be said not just about Paul's life in ministry. That same statement could be said about any believer. God is our boss, and he has a very specific job for us to do. We're going to look at that. The first thing, as he unpacks this, as he explains it to him, is this, is that he, in verse 1, Paul, a servant of God, a servant of God. We've talked about this before in other messages, this idea of complete and utter submission to somebody, saying, no longer am I reigning and guiding my life. I'm allowing him to play the role of boss. You see, every single believer has to decide who's playing the role of boss in your life. Have you ever had one of those jobs where you have multiple people that you're answering to and how annoying that gets to have like, oh, is he my boss or is she my boss? Am I supposed to answer to this person, that person? It causes complete confusion. And it's similar in the life of a believer. If there's not clarity on who is boss, that's a problem. So he's identifying right out of the gates. He's saying, God is is my boss. I'm a, a servant of God. Interesting because as a Roman citizen of the time, Paul being a Roman citizen, they weren't allowed to be, there's no ability for them to be made a slave anywhere in that entire existence of that that time. But just showing that Paul was then choosing, he's choosing to be a slave. It's a choice in the life of a believer. What does he say? What is that, what is, what is that uh, slavery or servant lifestyle look like? He says, Paul is servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. His specific duty as a slave was being an apostle. An apostle, what the word by definition means, is, is a spokesman speaking on behalf of someone else. It's a, it's a, a role that who he was playing. He was playing that role of spokesman for God, for Jesus Christ, finding, his, finding the, the merit or the authority of his message in the one that was sending him. I've noticed with my kids how many times I hear across the house, 
uh, they, they come and they ask me something and then they run and deliver this message and they're like, dad said, if you don't do this, anybody else have that with your kids? They, they use your name and your authority to accomplish what they're trying to get done. And you're like, wait a second, you're cheating. You're using me as the means to acquire. But the truth is, as a believer, that's the invitation. It's kind of a cool thing to say like, hey, I'm saying this, I'm doing this under the umbrella of the one who has sent me. You see, every, every impactful spiritual leader is very crystal clear and who it is that sent them and who it is that they're speaking on behalf of. For us, we can have that exact same clarity. We don't have to be like the world around us. It's like, man, I don't know what I'm, I'm called to do. I don't know who's, who's running this, this, this ship. No, clearly identifying God as boss. He goes on that if he's my boss, he probably has some specific things for him to do. What does he say in the text there? He says, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for what? For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life. A lot to unpack there, basically in three different uh, titles of what this job is, and really similar or the same for us today, is three different things to speak about. Because remember, he's a spokesman. To speak about the gospel about truth, and about hope. The amba- so an ambassador, the first thing that we'll see, an ambassador of the gospel, it says this, it says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So he's saying you're a spokesman for the sake of the faith of God's elect. You're like, what, is, what does that mean? What does that mean that for the sake of the faith? You see, the truth is, is that somebody doesn't know, they can't embrace truth, they can't have a faith in something, without hearing about it first. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing. That's why there's no such thing as a mute ambassador. Can you imagine showing up at one of those huge political luncheons and you have an ambassador from another country and they're about to introduce this guy and the guy introducing is like, but you know what? There's a little problem here. He's mute. He can't talk. You're like, what do you mean? You can't be an ambassador to represent somebody if you're not speaking. And so for us, in order for people to accept truth, they have to what? They have to, they have to hear it first. They have to hear it first. But some people are like, what in the world? For the sake of the faith of God's elect. What, is God, what does God's elect mean? It's actually a, a truth that a lot of us aren't really quite sure what to do with. A lot of us cringe at this idea of, of God electing or God choosing who's going to believe before they believe. A lot of times you're like, you know what? I'm not really too sure if I want to swallow that pill. But the truth is, is the New Testament unpacks it all over the place. It's actually a part of the, our belief system that we can't really ignore. John 15, 6, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Romans 9.15, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Ephesians 1.4, he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, God chose you as a first fruit to be saved. This, this, this truth is a consistent pattern in the New Testament that God chose us before we chose him. Isn't that a crazy truth? Isn't that a, like, man, what do you do with that? That's, 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 that's a hard pill to swallow. 
kind of how I've been able to reconcile that over my, my years is a, a passage in Isaiah. And this is, a, this is a, a thing that I lean into a lot because there's a lot that I don't get. Isaiah 55, 8 says, describing the Lord, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. The Lord's saying, the way that I think, the way I do things, it's not like you. It's, I'm not in the same category. I don't, I don't, I'm not bound by time and space. I'm not, I'm not bound by what I see or what you're exposed to or what you've encountered in your life. And so submitting to someone greater is an okay thing. To just say like, all right, God, I trust you. I've seen your character displayed, that you're a good and loving God. That's part of understanding the fact that he chose us before we chose them. So how, how are we an ambassador? Like, why don't we just sit back and just be like, you know what? Like, if he's going to do it, if he's already chosen them, then there's nothing for me to do. The truth is, what he says here is that he's there. He's a spokesman for the sake of the faith of God's elect. See, the way that it works is that the gospel is clearly presented, and then the Holy Spirit awakens it, in the minds of the elect. So sometimes when you're talking to somebody and you're explaining the gospel message and you see this just, just glaze over their eyes, you're just like, you know what? I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit takes the blinders off and allows it to actually take root and sink in. Our job isn't in the convincing. Our job is in the presenting. We're just to present truth. The Holy Spirit takes it from there. It's actually a, a freeing truth to take some of the weight off of all our shoulders. We're just presenting truth, presenting truth. We're ambassadors, presenting good news, good news, good news, good news, and allowing God to do the work behind the scenes. So ambassador of the gospel for the sake of the faith of God's elect. That's why he's a spokesman. He continues, and he says, and their knowledge of the truth, and their knowledge of the truth, the other part of our role as an ambassador is an ambassador of truth. There should just be truth, should just be oozing out of us. I love my, my sister who's in, in town this, uh, this weekend. She's a chaplain in Denver. And uh, one of the things that she's done over the years is she's started this kind of group of gathering, and she calls it a spiritual, spirituality group. And so they get together and just invites people to come together over some tea. Do you get it? Spirit. Uh, anyway, uh, and, and so uh, and they get together and she allows them to identify what are some of the topics uh, related to spiritual things that you would like to discuss. And she, and she has these conversations and she gives the opportunity for them to share kind of their responses of what they think their answers to the questions are. And then she kind of pulls it all together and kind of presents truth and says like, hey, this is what God's word teaches. This is, this is, this is my understanding of that. And it's been a really neat opportunity because what happens with truth, people are drawn to truth. People are drawn. They're so hungry for truth and to think of yourself as one of the roles of the job that he's called you to do, it says to be, and it says, and a spokesman because of their knowledge of the truth. And then it says, not just for knowledge's sake, for building up, it says, which accords with godliness. The word accords means harmonious or, or consistent with. You see, when you're presenting truth, it's not just for truth to say like, oh man, I know a whole lot more today than I did yesterday. No, the idea of truth 
is that it's to, it's, it's, what does it say there? It says that accords or partners with or it's consistent with godliness. It should be moving in somebody's life. Like there should be in our lives an accord between the truth that we know, it's kind of what we started with, and the godly life that we live. It should impact the way that we live. So we're ambassadors of the gospel, ambassadors of the truth, because you can't obey God's will if you don't know what it is. You can't be godly if we don't know what he's like and what he expects. So we're ambassadors of truth to be presenting truth and ambassadors of hope, of hope. And look in the last section there of that first uh, little section where he says, in hope of eternal life. And I feel like in the last year that I've been here, how often there's the, in the passage that we're studying, it points towards the hope of eternal life. How many times have you guys heard me talk about that? I mean, I feel like it's a, like, oh, oh, it's in this section too. Oh, it's in this section too. Oh, in this part. Oh, there it is again. Talking about, you know why? Because it's, it's nice. It's nice to, to cling to the hope of eternal life. And he's saying in the text, look what he says about eternal life. It's not just a, a, like a possibility which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. It's kind of a cool thing. See, the, the truth is, is that a promise is as only as good as the promise maker. A promise is only as good as the one who's making the promise. What he's saying here, he's saying, guess what? Guess who made this promise of eternal life? God. And guess what? He can't lie. He's not able to. It's outside of his character. He's not capable. So the promise that we're clinging to for eternal life, the fact that we're all racing upon death, it's still at 100% rate here. And, uh, and so we're all racing upon it. But he's saying, listen, one of the ambassadors, one of the things that you're, you're speaking out and sharing with people is the hope of eternal life. It's an awesome thing. So three different areas of focus that he's saying this was, this was in place before the ages began. Isn't that kind of cool to think about? This was a promise that God made. Like, who was around before the ages began? Jesus. So it's God and Jesus. So it's just God saying, hey, Jesus, I promise this is going to happen. Like, who else, would be the pro- who else would there be a promise between before time began? And so this is a promise between God the Father and God the Son that we get to cling to. We get to cling to. It's an awesome thing. We've talked about it before, like why some of the things that we're going through, some of the difficult times. That's why Philippians 3, 8 says, the present suffering has no comparison to the future glory. That's why you're just like, man, the things like this is as bad as it will ever get for a believer. Like that's a crazy truth. This is as bad as it will ever get for a believer. There's some really good days ahead. There's some awesome things. And he's put this into place even before time began. It's a, it's a hope. I think it's interesting, our, our culture's fascination uh, with this whole idea of heaven because we're clinging for hope. Like what, what's in the theaters right now? Like there's this movie. Has anybody seen this already? I haven't seen it yet. But, but I, I, was, uh, I was reading the, uh, online that opening weekend, it was third only right behind Captain America. You know, like we're making some headway with heaven talk. And, uh, and I, I was like, it, it made $21 million in its opening weekend, which is pretty, it did, it did well. This, this, this movie about is heaven for real or not, you see people are hungry for something 
to grab hold of with the afterlife. And the truth is, is you're like, hey, you don't even have to go, the, go, go to the movie. Just sit down with me. I'll tell you all about it. I'll tell you, I've got that hope inside of me. I can share that with you. It's a gift that we have. So if you think about it, not such a bad job description. You're like, oh, you get to share with people the, about truth, which they're starved for. You can share with them the good news that Jesus died and paid to the sacrifice for their sins. You can share with them about eternal life, which they're all starved and hungry for in the world around us. Like, not such a bad job description, right? If you really stop and think about it. So that is our crystal clear calling. One, God is boss. Two, he has, he has a job for us to do. So these are a couple of cool things that he starts right out of the text with, kind of laying the foundation of purpose before he even starts talking to Titus. It was like that long run-on sentence. How are we doing on time? All right, we're doing good. All right, so he goes on to start talking to Titus. Verse 4, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and, the G- and Christ Jesus our Savior. Child, we already talked about this. He's writing to a younger believer in the faith. And I love the, the consistency in the New Testament of how often they say grace and peace. Like that's like, that's like the statement, like that's a stamp on every single message that's going out there. Grace and peace, the hope that they experience grace and the outcome of grace is peace. I love in that section there, we see that God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. In verse 3, he refers to God as Savior. Here, he refers to Jesus as Savior. Again, pointing to the unified game plan that before time began, that the two of them are partnering with. It's an awesome picture. God as Savior, Jesus as Savior. He goes on now, verse 5. He says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So as I mentioned, Crete being an island, I want to show you just a picture. I think every good pastor has to show a picture every once in a while of, of Crete. So it's right there in the Mediterranean. It's kind of in the middle of Greece and Turkey. There you see Libya down there, Egypt, kind of a, a pretty small island that he had shown up to. And this island had was really known for just how morally bankrupt they were. And I was like, you know what, that's, that's pretty fitting and pretty parallel to our present culture. So he's writing to this young leader, and he's saying to them, that this Crete, they were actually, I was, I was reading a little background, there, no, they were known for their lack of integrity, dishonesty, and greed for possessions at any cost. Huh. Sounds similar. Titus 1.12, if you glance down just a couple verses, Cretans are always, this is what their own prophet described them as, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Wow, how would you like that to be like a label that's stamped on you? Like not a, and then it says it's true. And uh, the testimony is true. And, and so this, this people that he's writing to, uh, Titus must be thinking like, oh, thanks, Paul. You started this, these churches like in this, this, this really rough area. And he's like, all right, I'm out of here. I need to go do some more church planning. And, uh, and I'm going to leave you to lead this group of people. But you see, what he points to is that what needed to happen to start with is that he needed to first lay a foundation in the church of leadership. 
a foundation of leadership because he knew that if things were going to be put into order, that term into order is a, is a medical term, kind of the same idea as after a, anybody ever break a, a leg or a bone or something, have to wear a cast, and uh, they, they have to put it in order so that in place so that it can heal properly, right? Remember my dad breaking his, uh, his shoulder, what do they call that one? Collarbone, and uh, went on, in a bike accident, his wheel got stuck in between two boards and he just went over top and tried the, the long process of, of getting that in order, allowing it to heal back up. What he's saying here in the text is he's saying, this is why I left you in Crete, in this crazy island, that you might put what remained, in other words, what I left behind, into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. That is interesting that the first thing that he's going after when he's thinking about putting something in order is putting leadership that has character into place. Putting leadership with character into place. What an awesome picture for us, at, whether you're in a workplace or you're a, a mom or whatever, wherever we're needing to put order in place, it starts with character. The greatness of a leader isn't in their abilities, but in their character. Why do you think there's so many different areas around us that are just collapsing? Whether you, you think about the business world, the medical world, education world, government, even the church, it takes its hits because of a lack of character. That's why he's saying, he's like, listen, first thing, Titus, you got to do. You got to put some leaders in place. And here's the job description. We're going to look at the job description in a second. What I thought it was interesting is the job description has nothing to do with abilities and strictly to do with one's character. Isn't that so true of God's job description in our, in our life? It's a little bit freeing to think about. Just like, man, you know what? He's not asking you to be able to have the ability to do this or this skill set or this. He's saying, I want you to be a person of character. And, and out of that character, then you're going to minister. It's an it's a, it's a encouraging thing for us without a lot of skills. You're just like, oh, it's just a, it's just a character thing. Take a look at, at verse 6. It says this. It says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach, repeats that. He must not be arrogant, arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He begins this qualifications for elders, and elder and pastor is synonymous in the New Testament. He begins this description of qualifications. You can actually read more about the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy 3, 1 and Acts 20. But this list isn't going through a bunch of professional skills. It's going through, as I mentioned, character issues, character qualities. It's an awesome thing. Can you imagine if the next uh, resume that you're crafting, you're trying to get it out there, if you start just at the top of the list, you're just like above reproach. And then you just start listing character after character quality. And they're like, but what have you done? Not a whole lot, but look at my character. Like it's, a, it's an awesome thing. That's what God is concerned about. What, is he, what did he look for with, with David when he's picking him? He said, you know what? Man, God, man looks at the outside. God looks at what? 
the heart. He looks at the inside. He goes through this, this list. And the idea here, which is uh, encouraging to me, is it's not saying that you have to be absent of sin. Whew, little exhale there, because this is a list. When I read this list, this is a little bit daunting, I have to confess, when you start reading this. And you're like, this is pretty intense. Not absent, but, but not sin patterns. You see, when there's consistency, when you've submitted to sins, when there's a pattern of sin, that's when the problem lies. The New Testament points to a progression, not perfection. A progression, not perfection. Isn't that encouraging, Chad? Like, that gives me hope. And the qualifications that he breaks into, really into four different, uh, one commentary broke them into four categories. We're not going to go and break down every single one of them, but the four categories Sexual morality, family leadership, general character, and teaching skills. This first one, sexual morality, I'll just mention that briefly. It says, uh, being above reproach, the husband of one wife. At first, one might read that and be like, oh, well, polygamy? I don't really, I'm not guilty of that. Like, that's not a big issue in today's present world. But the idea here isn't talking about not having multiple wives. It's talking about being completely and fully committed to your wife or your husband. That's what it's talking about. Talking about being enamored and completely faithful to one woman. I was encouraged some, some years back. We had this uh, little Christmas gathering when I was working at Harvest. And the director that I was working with, he did a kind of a, he took a, a second to celebrate some different character qualities in the life of, uh, of the guys on, and, and girls on his team. And, uh, and he, came, he was giving out these plaques, and I thought this was kind of fun. He came up with this one, and uh, I was talking to Stephanie. She got one something about Elf. Uh, but this one was Team Family Man. Team Family Man. And I was like, he, he gave that to me, and it's a, a picture. What's that guy's name? Yes, Clark Griswold, uh, and uh, I don't know if you can see that there, but I was like, you know what, what a, what a compliment. I don't, I don't think he realized what, I was like, I'll take that, you know, like I'll take that. I, I want to be a family man, somebody that's committed to one wife, that's committed to the raising my kids in a, in a way that's God-honoring and pleasing to the Lord. Not such a bad thing. I wouldn't even mind that going on the tombstone at the end of my days, a family man. But this, this idea, what, is it, what does it say there? It says uh, committed to one wife. And then the second section, uh, there as he describes it, a husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. This idea of them being raised to, to, to love and follow the Lord and, and not in a, a life of rebellion. I had, a, I had a hard time. I was wrestling through that section this, this whole uh, week because the, the, the truth is the children are believers. You're not, you're not sure. It's not, not sure what to do with that because the truth is what you do, how you raise a kid doesn't necessarily guarantee whether they're going to be saved or not. But this is one of those things that, like, man, they're, they're one of those texts that we're to, I think it's healthy for us to keep wrestling through is that salvation is not always the product of good parenting. But he's pointing to you, the, the truth is, is that a, a leader, if you're going to be a leader within the church, you need to have reign in your own family. Not rebellious kids that are doing the, off doing their own things, that, that they're not being pointed in the way of Christ, that aren't, aren't introduced to the gospel, that there's not restraint in their life. That's one of the things that we're called to as a leader. 
And that's one of the things that we're called to as all believers. It's not, you can't just take this list and say like, well, that's for you to live by and good luck with that. You know, like this is for all of us that are trying to model our lives after Christ. Pray for God's grace in that area of each of our lives. In the second section after family leadership is general character. And he has this, this umbrella of above reproach. And he has a list of a, a number of different things. The first five are negative, And the next six are, are positive. The negative, being arrogant, happy with themselves. Quick-tempered with a short fuse. A drunkard, drinking in excess, the idea there. Violent, whether that's physical or verbal. Greedy for gain, just constantly pursuing, whether it's dishonest at any cost. All those things, saying that's not in the life of someone that's to be leading within the church. The positive, he goes through, hospitable. I, was, uh, I like the definition I read by one commentary of that one, because that, does that just mean like inviting people over for dinner? What does, that, what does that actually mean? Freely offering time and resources to others. Freely offering time and resources to others. Wouldn't, that, wouldn't you love to have that as a mark on your life, saying, you know what, he's just known as somebody that's just freely offering resources and his time to others. Hospital, hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, in control of their actions, upright, consistently living right, holy, set apart, disciplined. That falls into lots of different areas of your life. You read lists like this, and the truth is with many of the lists of the New Testament, you can get done with a list like that and be like, oh, how do I do that? Anybody else do that with some of the lists in the New Testament? You're like, okay, I'm doing okay in that one. That one needs to go up a little. Oh, this one, like you can become in the life of a believer if we're not careful of just managing lists. And you're like, okay, I need to pull on this. I need to improve on this. And like, what an exhaust. That doesn't sound like my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But the truth is, you have to combine the cumulative of what we've been learning about how this all works. What did we learn in Galatians 5? Or, I'm sorry, in Galatians 2, 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. It's not about me trying to work on introducing more of these things, trying to shape these things in our life. It's more of submitting to him. Or this idea that we also see in John 15, 5. And this is an important key to these lists. Whenever you're reading a list in Scripture, cling to this one because fruit isn't something that you can just force. It's something that's supposed to come naturally. John 15, 5 says this, I am the vine... You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, how much can you do? Nothing. Nothing. That's encouraging that you're just like, all right, I have one focus in character development. Walking close to Christ. Walking close intimately with the Spirit guiding me, talk, doing, taking every possible step that I can take to foster an intimate relationship with God. Because then you start to, even without even realize it, pick up some of his characteristics, right? I've noticed I had my parents in town uh, last week, and uh, Nancy, who works in the church office, commented because she had spent some time talking to my dad. She's like, 
Oh, I noticed all kinds of mannerisms. He even makes some weird facial expressions you make. He has the same talk. He does some, some different things that you do. And you're like, really? That's weird. But, but, but no, that's how it works. That's how it works. Somebody that you spend time with, you begin to adopt the good. Unfortunately, sometimes the good and the bad. Anybody attested to that? Where you're like, oh, I took on some of those characteristics too. But the encouraging thing is with Christ, you spend time with him and there's no bad habits that you're picking up. It's all good stuff. You're like, man, when I'm connected to the vine, I'm adopting that character trait. I'm becoming like that. Like, what an awesome thing. That's how these lists are possible. He concludes the section with this last quality. He says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Again, another shaping thing as to keep, how to keep lists. Holding tight to the word so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This idea of being committed to, to present truth and to defend it, staying it connected to the vine, ready to defend it, being a, a student of the word. The big idea that I want to leave us with here is this idea of two things that we started talking about this morning. Two big ideas. Being crystal clear in our calling. What was that? God is boss. He's got a job for us to do. It involves speaking. An ambassador, remember, ambassador of the gospel, ambassador of truth, ambassador of hope. Those are, that, that's the job description. That's our calling. So you're not like that confused college student that's like, what are you doing in life? I don't know. Like, hey, what, what, what if that college student is just like, I know exactly what I'm doing. God's going to be my boss, and I'm going to be his ambassador. Like, Whoo! Like, can you imagine asking a college student that, like at the, at the local college? Hey, what are you doing in life? What, what's next? Like, I don't know everything, but I do know God's my boss and I'm his ambassador. Whoo! Talk about some clarity. What a gift. That's how we have a life uncommon. That's how we have a life uncommon. How about this? Like, how about, hey, one of the other things that's uncommon in my life is I'm really focused on my character where I'm not going to be the same 12 months from now because I'm spending lots and lots of time with Jesus. I'm spending a lot of time, so I'm just anticipating that he's going to start rubbing off on me. Like, this is going to happen. When I spend time with him, he's going to st- I'm going to start adopting some of these traits. Like, it's going to be an awesome thing. That's a life uncommon. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this text. And just even as we start diving into this passage and this section of Scripture where you're You're using Paul to encourage this young leader in the faith, God, that you're encouraging him with some simple truth that, one, we need to be crystal clear on our calling with you as our boss and us as your ambassadors. God, in that character development is more of your desire. Doesn't that, God, that just changes everything in the way that we see life and the things that are happening to us, our circumstances, when we start to see the end goal as character de- de- development, it's a beautiful thing. God, we thank you so much that you didn't just leave us to wander around here with no clue. You gave us a specific calling and a clearly shaping character process that you're doing in our life. We're grateful for that. Pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. No other name. That's what we're putting all of our stock in. Nothing else. That's it. Just him alone. That's it.
He invites us to an uncommon life that has calling and has character as a priority. It's an awesome thing. It's an invitation to a life that's different. It's different than the world around us. Let's live in that this week. If we can be praying for you about something, we have elders that are going to be available in the lobby out there. Myself, we'd love to bless you before you leave today. Otherwise, otherwise, have a fantastic week in the Lord. God bless you.